Greetings. This is Douglas Skimple, Senior Portfolio Specialist with Diamond Hill Capital Management, and this is Understanding Edge. Joining me today is Austin Hawley. He's the Chief Investment Officer at Diamond Hill Capital Management and serves as a Portfolio Manager on our Large Cap Strategy, Large Cap Concentrated, and All Cap Select Strategy. Austin joined Diamond Hill in 2008, and prior to joining the firm, he worked as an equity analyst at Putnam Investments. Today, Austin is joining me to discuss a variety of topics, uh, ranging from the structure of our analyst team, our investment process, as well as how we look at hiring when we're looking for new analysts. Enjoy. So, Austin, thanks for joining me today. Uh, We'll dive right into the questions. So, what are the coverage expectations for analysts, and how are they measured? Uh, thanks, Doug. Happy to be here. Uh, you know, when we talk about the analyst, we expect the analyst and associates to have a well-defined universe of companies that they're going to be focused on. So usually for our analysts, that means one or two well-defined in industries. We don't expect them to have uh, an opinion on all the companies within those industries. We don't want our analysts to try to cover everything in the world. We want them to be focused on the best companies and in industries or the areas where we think there's likely to be uh, some real opportunities. And we try to measure our analysts uh, similar to the way we uh, measure our portfolio managers, and that is based on performance over long periods of time. And for us, that means periods of five years or longer. So our analysts each manage a sleeve of capital in our research opportunities strategy, and we measure their performance uh, in that strategy against an industry benchmark over periods of five years or longer. That is the way we measure those analysts uh, and also what we expect in terms of kind of a focused coverage area for our analysts. In your opinion, what are some of the advantages of having an industry specialist model? Yeah, we think domain expertise has real value uh, for us over time. It allows our analysts to be extremely focused in the news flow, daily news flow of each of those industries and building up a network of kind of experts that they talk to on a regular basis. And I think it allows us to be a little more nimble and uh, uncover some companies in some less followed industries uh, over time. And I'll just give you an example. You know, if you look at home building, we've owned a company called NVR, uh, which is a home builder that's focused in the mid-Atlantic states and also the southeastern United States. And NVR is a less well-known home builder than a uh, Lennar or a D.H. Horton. Uh, but uh, NVR has a very unique business model and one that we think makes it extremely attractive as an investment. NVR is an asset light uh, home builder in that they don't own a lot of land on their balance sheet. They option land and it leads to a very high return on capital business model and has allowed them to uh, generate returns that are far superior to many peers over time. So if you were a generalist and were approaching the home building sector, it's unlikely that you would focus on a company like NVR. Uh, But 
you know, we were able to uncover that company because we have an analyst that is focused exclusively on that industry and trying to make comparisons of companies within that industry. And we were able to determine that we thought NVR was a real gem within that industry. And over the periods that we've owned NVR, uh, its performance has been significantly better than uh, many of its peers. So our analysts here, they'll cover, they're long, they're short, they look at fixed income as well. What are the advantages, strictly speaking, on the equity side at this point, of providing both long and short ideas? I think there's a couple areas where we get real advantages uh, by having a broad set of opportunities for each of our analysts. Uh, The first is that it gives our analysts a number of ways to add value uh, across the organization, specifically for our equity strategies. So each of our analysts covers the entire market cap range from small to large cap and also makes recommendations both long and short. And I think the problem that you can often get into if you have an analyst team that's focused on specific industries and long only is that you can get the analyst who covers uh, some industry called auto parts and they don't have uh, a lot of opportunities at the current moment. They are going to find the least bad opportunity within that uh, industry to recommend because they have to justify their existence at the firm. And I think we you know, reduce the uh, amount of conflict you get from that sort of situation by giving our analysts a number of ways to add value. So that analyst in that industry for us could recommend a short uh, if they found uh, attractive short opportunities, or they could even focus on a different market cap range where perhaps there were better opportunities uh, you know, versus being a kind of large cap focused industry analyst. The second area that I think we get real benefit is just in terms of bringing an additional level of intellectual honesty to the research process. If you approach each investment with a perspective that that company could be a long investment or a short investment for our strategies, it leads you to take a very rational approach uh, you know, to each investment opportunity and your analysis of that company. And so there's kind of a benefit in terms of mindset, in my opinion, and then also a more structural benefit in terms of allowing the analyst many opportunities to add value across the organization. Here at Diamond Hill, uh, the analyst is considered a career role. So what's the, what's the thought process around that? I think there's two primary reasons that it's a career role here at uh, Diamond Hill. The the first is that to us, research is the most important part of our organization and the most important part of our investment process. Uh, We are highly active, bottom-up, fundamental investors, and having a good research team and process is the most important thing in terms of long-term success. So we would like over time to have highly experienced analysts that stay in their roles for an extended period of time supporting our portfolio managers as they try to execute uh, on our philosophy within their strategies. The second reason is that we are highly active, capacity-constrained managers on the uh, across our firm, not just on the equity side, but you know it's very apparent on the equity side where we're a mature, more mature business uh, now. 
And so given that we are capacity constrained, it, we are not going to proliferate uh, a number of strategies across the firm over time. We have a limited number of strategies that we try to uh, deliver superior returns over time. And so there aren't going to be a lot of new opportunities uh, for people to step into portfolio management roles. They come up over time, uh, and we have to manage that over time. Uh, but it is just a reality of our business model and the types of returns we want to generate over time that we can't offer, you know, a dozen different equity strategies. We have a limited, limited capacity, and we want to maximize the value there. So following up on that, do analysts ever rotate across sectors? Do they ever move from from one area of coverage to another? Occasionally, we will have an analyst uh, move to a different sector. It usually happens when, for whatever reason, we have an opportunity that arises within a sector, and an analyst wants to move and to try to fill that opening that we may have. We don't have any formal program to rotate people uh, across uh, sectors, and our preference over time would be to have people stay within an industry, know it extraordinarily well, and, again, kind of build themselves into very experienced analysts over time uh, supporting all of our equity strategies. At the time of this recording, which is kind of the end of October, there are 128 employees at Diamond Hill. Uh, 50 of those employees are chartered financial analysts or CFAs, uh, which is nearly 40% of the firm. And then when you drill down onto the investment team of 48 professionals, then you've got 83% of the members of the team hold their CFA, and those that don't are in the process of pursuing their CFA. Why is there such a strong emphasis on the CFA designation? Well, uh, as anyone who has taken the CFA exams knows, uh, it is a very rigorous uh, test and it is a very rigorous process to be to earn your CFA designation. And so, for us, it is a kind of minimum bar uh, that guarantees that the, our analyst have the kind of analytical skill set necessary to become a good investor. Being a CFA does not guarantee that you are a good investor. Uh, there is much more required uh, to be successful over time in this business. But it does guarantee that you have a, at least a minimum analytical skill set uh, that is necessary, kind of uh, the price of admission, so to speak, to eventually becoming uh, a good investor. And so we like to just hold that out there as evidence, uh, both externally but also internally, as we send a message about what we expect from our analysts, uh, that, you know, this is something that uh, is evidence of, you know, a really strong analytical skill set across the organization. Let's dive into the process now. We've talked about kind of structure, how the analyst team is set up. So we dive into the process. Uh, a lot of other managers start with screens based on statistical cheapness. How does, IG, how does idea generation begin at Diamond Hill? So we don't use any predefined screens or filters to narrow the universe down to, you know, the cheapest 100, 200 uh, stocks. However, we are, uh, both through our analysts, but also the portfolio managers, 
making an effort all the time to narrow the universe down to some subset that's a lot more manageable. For us, that's a much more qualitative process than some other firms use. And we tend to focus on narrowing that uh, universe down to the subset of companies that, in our opinion, is more predictable in terms of the cash flows they produce over time and the economics of the businesses. Uh, the, set, the set of companies that we think we can confidently value and that may just be, you know, the stability of the industry, the economics of the individual companies, our familiarity with individual companies. Uh, but in one way or another, we are trying to narrow that universe down. It's just not a mechanical process for us. And that's not to say we don't use screens. Some of our analysts will use screens to try to narrow that universe down. But we tend to want them, those screens to be very focused on the industry and some metrics that we think are most relevant for that industry and not very broad screens based on things like price to earnings or price to book. Uh, we generally don't think of the world that way uh, in terms of our valuation. We like to really understand the economics of the individual companies. And that's why when we do do screens, I like it to be very focused on metrics relevant to uh, an industry. I've got a couple questions on communication. And the, and the first one is the communication between analysts. So how are they communicating, whether it's the team that they're on or just one-on-one? -on -one? How do they communicate amongst themselves? Yeah, so all of our analysts are part of a sector team. We have five sector teams here, and those sector teams meet on at least a weekly basis. Most of them are meeting on a daily basis now, and they're sharing information within those sector teams about news flow or changes to companies uh, that may be relevant to others on that team. And those sector teams are based on, you know, uh, concentrations of companies that ha share a lot of uh, common economic characteristics. So oftentimes those analysts will have data points that are relevant to others on their team. In addition to that, we strongly encourage the analysts to share information across those teams on a regular basis. So I'll just give you an example. Our analyst that co who covers uh, lodging and leisure companies uh, interacts on a regular basis with our analyst who covers real estate companies. Uh, many of the companies, whether they be gaming companies or hotel companies uh, in the lodging and leisure space, have a significant embedded real estate uh, value associated with them, uh, regardless of whether they're actually REITs or operating companies. And so that interaction with our real estate analyst is very, very valuable in helping to compare and maybe get a slightly different perspective on those companies than maybe some of our peers uh, are looking at when they evaluate some of those companies. And so we strongly encourage the analyst to interact in that way. And the follow-up question on communication, the communication between analysts and PMs. You know, we have the daily stand-up meeting where everyone gathers around the trading floor and talks about, you know, their companies, their sectors. It gets very busy during earnings season, as you would imagine. What other communication is there between the analysts on the PMs on a regular basis to make sure the idea sharing is, is happening? So we have, we have a handful of kind of for, formal forums uh, for analysts to communicate with portfolio managers. We have that daily stand-up meeting where, you know, it may last 
five minutes or it may last 15 minutes, depending on how busy the news flow is on any given day. But that's just uh, an opportunity for analysts to share any important information that may have come up about companies that we own across the strategies. In addition to that, uh, we have a monthly investment team meeting uh, where we review in a formal way the price-to-value ratios across all of our portfolios and also regularly look at some long-term attribution across the portfolios. Uh, and that's more of a learning process for us to try to glean any lessons we can from past investments we've made over periods of kind of five years or longer. In addition to that, anytime we have a new recommendation from one of our analysts, there's a formal uh, uh, recommendate, written recommendation that's sent out across the entire investment team and a follow-up Q&A session that takes place between our analysts and the portfolio managers. So we have a number of those for formal settings where portfolio managers and analysts will interact with one another. But by far the most important uh, communication that takes place, uh, in my opinion, is the informal communication that takes place every day uh, between portfolio managers and analysts, uh, whether that's you know debating a recent recommendation or just talking about news flow, things that may have happened in terms of earnings reports. And I think that feedback and constant informal communication is being critical for us, you know, since the firm was started almost 20 years ago and continues to be the main way that we interact with each other uh, as an investment team. Uh, last question on process, uh, and then we'll get into a little bit of the hiring. Um, what's the advantage of having a single investment philosophy across all strategies? So we, we cover the market cap spectrum, but the philosophy, the underlying philosophy is still the same, though the, the uh, opportunity set is slightly different. I think it's crucial, and it is something that gets down to kind of the values and culture of the organization. We are all speaking the same language here, whether it's about risk, uh, whether it's about uh, expectations in terms of margin of safety when we add a name to the portfolio. We all have a common view of what it means to uh, be a good investment. Uh, and that makes it much easier for everyone to communicate across the organization, across different strategies, whether it's small cap, mid cap, large cap. Everyone's on the same page in terms of the way we're evaluating individual companies and what makes for an attractive investment. It's also super critical that as part of our philosophy, we have a very long-term time horizon. And we've been very explicit uh, both to our clients but also internally that that's five years or longer. And that's kind of the minimum amount of time we think required to have any sort of statistical significance as you evaluate performance over time. And it may be even more important when you look at the non-investment parts of our organization and that everyone truly understands that we are thinking long-term. And we've been super careful to structure the way we measure portfolio managers over time, meaning we only look at rolling five-year periods of time. Uh, and just the way we manage the business, thinking longer term and not being overly focused on short-term periods of time as ways to measure our investment results. And it, it allows all of the people on our investment team to be comfortable 
evaluating companies and looking for good long-term opportunities without feeling like they're taking undue career risk uh, by trying to capitalize on what they see as a short-term uh, uh, anomaly. So speaking of careers, um, what, what would you say is the ideal background for uh, either an analyst or the associate type of candidates? I really don't think there is an ideal background. If you look across the folks on our research team, we have people who have worked as engineers, we have people who have worked as teachers, and we have people who have worked uh, in various jobs within the finance industry, uh, either at other investment management firms or as bankers uh, historically, and all have been successful here. It is much less about that background than it is about a, having a passion for value investing and truly understanding in a very logical way that investment philosophy, that intrinsic value investment philosophy. You know, everyone has slightly different backgrounds and experiences. And I think that's super valuable to us as an organization to have a collection of people who have some cognitive diversity uh, and can share different perspectives on investments. The important thing is to all be speaking the same language and be able to capitalize on those different perspectives and find opportunities where your experience and background makes you uniquely positioned to evaluate uh, an investment in better position than the marginal investor out there looking at that uh, particular investment. Well, Austin, I want to thank you for joining me. This has been great. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. Appreciate it. Thanks, Doug. I appreciate it. This material is for informational purposes and is prepared by Diamond Hill Capital Management. The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change. These opinions are not intended to be a forecast of future events, a guarantee of future results, or investment advice. Reliance upon this information is at the sole discretion of the listener. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal.